In February of 2005, a man wrote me a note and included his testimony. He said, I grew up in a two-bedroom raised house in Mississippi. My mom, dad, three brothers, and two sisters were at home. My earliest memory starts at about age five. My father was a hard worker at a shipyard in New Orleans. He worked the 3.30 to midnight shift. He would leave home at about one o'clock in the afternoon and return about 2 a.m. the next morning and he would sleep till about 11 a.m. the next day. Our home had wooden floors and my father had a rule in our home, don't wake him up or else. I remember being second to the oldest at home, always living in fear of waking my father up by walking too hard on the wooden floors or by banging something around. When we did wake my father up, which was only a few times, it would be terrible. He would become very, very angry, yelling, screaming, hitting with the back of his hands. We lived on pins and needles, always afraid of setting my dad off. This life seemed normal to us. We didn't know any better. All of our friends' dads were basically the same way. Now I'm 40, got married as a teenager, my wife and I both, and I started my family by ruling them with the same anger my father dealt with. My wife was raised with anger in their home, but not as bad, so it was easy for her to see that something was wrong with how I handled myself. I mistreated my wife, my oldest son, who is 21 now, I lost a couple of good jobs and lost some good friends the whole time not being able to see that I had a problem with anger. In 1985, I got saved and in 1990, my wife left me and 10 months later, we divorced. I still couldn't see my anger as being my problem. I'd learned to pass the blame to others by saying, you make me mad or you know what buttons to push. There was a lot of pride. I would even say, who do you think you are talking to me like that? And I'll share more of that later in the message. Would you read the words on the screen with me? Everybody out loud, please. Throughout the Bible, when a man gave himself over to something, that thing that became so much a part, <coughs> adjective that God would use to describe that man. The thing that he gave himself over to could be a positive thing or a negative thing. For instance, a man who made wisdom a key pursuit of his life would be known as a wise man. And it appears 30 times in your Bible. A wise man will hear and increase learning. Rebuke a wise man, he will love thee. The Bible also referred to a prudent man, a merciful man, a diligent man, a righteous man, and a just man whose life would be characterized by a sense of justice. All of us have things that become so much a part of our lives that we may become known by them. You may be either a faithful man who aboundeth with blessings, or you may be like an unfaithful man who's as trustworthy as a broken tooth or a foot out of joint, and I hurt every time I look at that picture. The Bible also refers to the foolish man, the froward man, the wicked man, and the deceitful man. And then the Bible refers to the mad man and to the angry man who stirs up strife. And in the same verse is the furious man who abounds in transgression. Interestingly, Proverbs 15, 18 tells us the wrathful man also stirreth up strife. An angry man <clears throat> is a type of person who is knowingly or unknowingly addicted to anger. You can tell he's an angry person because he's always stirring the pot of strife. He may not know that across his forehead is written the term angry man, but God and others see it written there all the time. An angry man or woman is a person out of whom angry words, attitudes, or actions may erupt at any time. When I think of an angry man, there is one verse that almost always comes to my mind and men or women with an anger problem should post this verse on the mirror where they see it every day. Proverbs 19, 19. Read it out loud with me, would you please? A man of great wrath. <clears throat> Yet thou must do it again. A man of great wrath. Great wrath there is harsh wrath. The Hebrew word there for wrath is translated fury 67 times, wrath 34 times, 
and poisoned six times. It is the poison of serpents in Deuteronomy 32, 24. In, and in verse 32, 33, it is the poison of dragons. So what is the high cost of the poison of this man or woman's anger? First of all, I would point out to you that the high cost of anger is the time of others to deal with the angry person's problem. To word it another way, the high cost of anger is the ceaseless occupation of others to deal with your problem, either because you refuse to see it as a problem which is a massive thing or because you refuse to take the necessary steps to truly get victory over the problem. Notice that a man of great wrath shall suffer punishment for if thou deliver him. This is somebody else coming in, delivering this person from the consequences of his or her anger and it just keeps going on. Built into anger or an angry spirit are negative consequences. But those negative consequences don't just fall on the angry person, they also fall on every person around the angry person who loves that person or lives with that person. So, what are his wife or her husband and their children and their friends continually, ceaselessly doing? They are continually delivering him and they have to do it again, the Bible says, and it means again and again and again. The Hebrew word for deliver is translated rescue in 1 Samuel 30, 18. It is translated defended in 2 Samuel 23, 12. So the angry man is continually being rescued from the consequences of his anger by those who love him. They are continually defending him or her. Well, I know he has a little problem with anger, but he doesn't really know it. He's such a good man. I'm sure he'd deal with it if he knew it. You know, he's also kind and generous and hardworking and he really loves the Lord. He gets angry at the children and mom says, Honey, it, 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 it's all right. Your daddy didn't really mean it that way. Then why did he say it? Well, he's just got a lot on him right now. So the people around the angry person are continually delivering him from the consequences of his anger. He yells at the referee in the ball game, but the ref decides it would make it worse if we confronted him, so he delivers him and lets it go. For years at our church, the church I pastored in Illinois, we would have men's basketball league at our church. It's about this time Every year, preacher, we had a nice double gymnasium and we would divide up. We'd have men, ladies volleyball leagues, men's basketball league. And every year I dreaded it with a passion. Every year they would always come back and say, preacher, we, we won't have basketball league again this year. And every year my answer was always this. And who are we going to lose out of the church this year? What family is going to get knocked out this year? I would always say, folks, it was, is it really worth it? But folks would get upset with me if I didn't have it. So I'd always have it and every year somebody would be out of the church. Somebody would get upset at one of the ref or somebody didn't get to play often enough. He sat on the bench too long or his coach wasn't fair to him or whatever it, whatever it meant. Uh, it, it is so hard to get men to realize that you can be intense without being indignant. Men just seem to think that the fruit of the Spirit does not belong in a ball game. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. May I ask you a question? Is there ever a time for a Christian not to manifest those? Never a time. But most men think you're supposed to leave that on the bench when you go in the game. That just doesn't belong there. Too many men don't realize that the cost of losing a game is not as high as the high cost of anger itself. Man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. Thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. And the Hebrew word for deliver shows up again in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
Any of you boys on the front can tell me what story is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Yes, sir. Uh, it's a, yes, sir. The, you, you were close and he got it, all right? The story of David and Goliath. Now, here it is. Uh, David said to Saul that a lion came and took a lamb out of the flock. He said, I went out after him and smote him and delivered the lamb out of his mouth. Same word there, deliver. Man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, I'll deliver him, yet thou must do it again. And David said, I delivered the lamb out of the lion's mouth. Is everybody awake? Say amen. amen. It's like the angry man is trapped in the lion's mouth of his own anger. And those who love him are continually rescuing him from the consequences of it. But in many cases, he refuses to admit where he is. Or if he does know where he is, he refuses to truly seek deliverance for the problem that he has. Now, a man in the Bible that I believe could have clearly been called an angry man or a furious man or even a madman was Israel's first king, King Saul. Those around Saul were, con were constantly delivering him from the consequences of his anger. In 1 Samuel 14, see the picture? Saul would have killed his own son, Jonathan, because Jonathan ate some honey. Saul's men, his soldiers, stepped in and stopped their king from killing his own son. Twice in 1 Samuel 18, angry Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a javelin. In chapter 19, he tried to do the same thing again. It was in that chapter also that Saul's daughter, Michael, saved her husband David's life by letting David escape through a window. She also lied to her daddy Saul about David being sick and made it look like David was in bed when he wasn't in bed at all. Michael, the daughter, was saving her husband David's life, but that's not all she was doing. She was also delivering her daddy Saul from the consequences of his anger. In chapter 20, Saul tried to smite Jonathan, his son, with a javelin because of his anger at David. That is four times that man tried to pin somebody to the wall with a javelin. In chapter 22, Saul in anger had Dueg kill 85 priests plus men, women, children, and babies. How? Is this madman king even staying alive? <coughs> Excuse me. Others are continually delivering him. I remember once counseling a pastor whose son was rebellious. I told the pastor he needed to take his son on a trip. Love him, praise him, just have a great time together, try to win his boy's heart. And the boy found out about the trip, went to his mother and said, Mom, I'm afraid to go and be alone with dad. What if he blows up while we're gone? The mother had been a neutralizing force for the father and son's relationship for many years. She had delivered her husband over and over again, but the time finally came when she could no longer deliver her husband, and that is typically what happens Eventually, an angry man will reach the point where you can't deliver him anymore. He will lose his family, lose his children, lose his marriage, lose his job, lose his ministry, lose whatever. You just can't deliver him anymore. May I ask you, how much time have others spent dealing with your problem? Do you recognize it? Has your anger problem been a part of your life so long that is just normal life for you now until you personally recognize it, face it, quit denying it, repent of it, receive God's grace, make yourself accountable to others. People will just keep delivering you until they'll reach the point eventually most people give up. Wives have delivered their husbands until they lost all their children. Then the mother, sometimes after 20 or more years of marriage, tired of her husband's anger, exhausted from so many years of dealing with the consequences of his anger, she bails out of the marriage itself. And a lonely man gets a girlfriend 
who foolishly thinks that an angry man is better than no man at all. So what is the high cost of anger? First of all, the time of others to deal with your problems. Secondly, it is the cost of the loss of your own testimony. Remember this verse, read it with me, would you please? A good name is rather, (coughs) and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The loving favor is the respect of others because of your good name. And that is to be chosen rather than riches and silver and gold. Now I wonder, How many people would continue to get angry if every time they got angry or spoke angry words, they were fined and they had to pay a fine of $10,000. That is what's on the screen in front of you. Did you know that your anger is costing you more than that? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. It is costing you the testimony of a good name. Preacher, I know you've experienced this as well. How many times as a pastor, people would say, doesn't so-and-so know that he has a problem with anger? Doesn't, pastor, doesn't that lady know she has a problem with anger? Man, the way she treats her children, the way she blows up at other people. You know, she's a nice lady. He's a nice person. And and I would sit behind the desk and wring my hands over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, you preach about it, you talk about it, and some folks just refuse to open their eyes and deal with it. Now, there are two specific ways that the Bible points out that an angry person loses his testimony. First of all, is by the foolish and ridiculous things that angry people do. The Bible says it plainly in Proverbs 14, 17, he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly and honestly those foolish things sometimes border on the hilarious. Issaquah, Washington, a man was coaxed out of his home by police after he pulled out a handgun and shot his personal computer four times in the hard drive and once in the monitor. That really helps computers, I promise you. In the 1960s, a man with a Chevy Nova was trying to put a new stereo in it, got frustrated when he couldn't get it to install properly and started stabbing the dashboard of his beautiful new Nova with his screwdriver. That really solves the problem, you know that? Larry Darby wrote one of the best books on the subject entitled, Are You Angry? It was a key resource for me as I was studying for this message. And Larry Darby said, frustration is like jet rocket fuel for an angry spirit. Then he told this story that happened to him. He said, I remember losing my temper at my garden hose. It was a sultry summer day when that perverse piece of plastic challenged me to a duel. I pulled on my end, but it remained ensnared upon a distant tree root, and I angrily pulled harder. It became my appointed duty to avenge this act of defiance, (laughs) lest other garden gadgets become equally rebellious. The hose was never the same after that, neither was my back. Imagine being so foolish to think that I could punish a garden hose. Who'd I think was going to pay for a new one? (laughs) Who was going to fix my aching back? Have you ever broken things in your anger? Did it help to solve the problem? Oh, yeah. When all those other toilet repair kits learned that I stomped that first one to pieces, (laughs) they never gave me any more trouble after that. I created a real fear in them. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Consider how foolish it was. You remember this story? For King Saul to be so angry at David that he tries to get David killed by saying to David, I will give you my daughter as wife, as your wife, if you'll kill a hundred Philistines. Now, since when do you use your daughter as bait to take care of somebody you're mad at? 
And imagine how frustrated Saul was when David killed not a hundred, but two hundred of them and lived to marry Saul's daughter, Michael. After all, what a happy wedding that must have been. This guy, you see this? This man's tried to get this fella killed and he's giving him his daughter now. What a, wow. You know anybody who's acted foolishly because of anger? A man with a Chevy Camaro collector car. Now, ladies, some of your husband's starting to drool. You may need to catch that drool. He was trying to install a battery, couldn't get it in right, and he threw the battery so it scratched the hood and then smashed in the windshield. The man who told me about it said, Brother Davis, it was my brother and I walked outside and there was the beautiful hood of the Camaro ruined and the battery sitting in the indentation in the windshield. Jonah had run from God, finally preached, and the city of Nineveh repented and Jonah got angry because they repented. He sat down under the shadow of a booth to see what would become of the city. Then God let a big leafy gourd plant grow up and shade Jonah's head and the next morning the gourd died and Jonah got angry because of the gourd and God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? By the way, one of the best ways to confront an angry person about his anger is with questions. Mom, are you angry? But sometimes you have to wait a little while and then say, Mom, were you angry a while ago? Because sometimes the angry person is so angry, if you ask them right away, they will blow up. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me, God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Then God pointed out to Jonah how foolish it was for Jonah to be upset because a plant died but for him not to care about 120,000 children possibly being destroyed. Somebody said, you can't get rid of a bad temper by losing it. <laughs> Angry people do foolish things. Listen to this story. In his autobiography, number one, Billy Martin told about hunting in Texas with Mickey Mantle, his friend. Mickey Mantle, a star athlete, had a friend who would let them hunt on his ranch. When they reached the ranch, Mickey Mantle told Billy to wait in the car while he checked in with his friend. Mickey Mantle's friend quickly said, Sure, Mickey, you can hunt. Mickey, I need a favor. Sure, man, what you want? He said, You know what, Mickey, I've got a pet mule in the barn who's going blind. And I don't have the heart to put him out of his misery. Mickey, would you mind shooting my mule for me? Mickey said, sure, I'll be glad to do that. On the way out of the house, Mickey got this wild idea. As he came back to the car, he pretended to be angry. He scowled, he slammed the door. Billy looked at Mickey and said, what's the matter? And Mickey said, I'm so mad at that guy, he won't let us hunt. And you know what? I'm going to go out to his barn and shoot one of his mules. Mantle drove like a maniac to the barn. Billy Martin protested, we can't do that. Mickey Mantle was adamant, you just watch me, he shouted when they got to the barn. Mickey Mantle jumped out of the car with his rifle, ran inside and <laughs> shot the mule. As he was coming out, he heard two more shots. And he ran back to the car and he saw that Billy Martin had taken out his rifle too. What you doing, Martin? Mickey Mantle yelled. Martin yelled back his face red with anger. We'll show that rascal I just killed two of his cows. <laughs> he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly angry people do foolish things. Two ways. The angry person loses his testimony by the foolish things that he does. Secondly, by the mean things 
Angry people do. The Bible says that a furious man aboundeth in transgression. When the wise men came to Jerusalem seeking the baby that was to be born king of the Jews, Herod told them to come back and report later. And after God in a dream warned them not to, Herod was exceeding wroth, sent forth and slew all the children in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof, two years old and under. Now, folks, I don't care what your definition of mean is. That is mean. And when a man does something in anger that is really mean, his testimony may be destroyed forever. Listen to this news article from the Boston Herald newspaper. A minister is accused of breaking the jaw of a math teacher who gave his daughter a poor grade in conduct. I always wonder where she learned the conduct from. The teacher tried to walk away from an argument with Dale Robinson, associate minister of the Greater Love Tabernacle. Robinson allegedly chased the teacher and punched him in the head twice. Security officers and other administrators broke up the fight. Balaam's anger at his donkey made him both foolish and mean. God was righteously angry at Balaam for going with Balak's men. Remember, I said it this morning, God's anger is always righteous. Man's anger is always unrighteous. Now that Ephesians 4.31 that says, let all wrath and anger be put away from you. The Greek word for anger there is the one that is used where Jesus used anger in Mark chapter 3 verse 5. It is not used of any other human being in the New Testament again. But it does show up there in Ephesians 4.31 where it says, you put this away from you. I don't claim to understand this. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Jesus can handle anger. You cannot leave it alone. Now, I'm just going to throw in right here, and this is from my new message on the mnemonic-like nature of anger. People are always asking, if you don't, if you don't answer this, somebody will come up and ask me this. How about Ephesians 4.26? Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. There are actually four steps here in a downward path to anger, bondage, or addiction. Four steps. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. The four steps pictured in those two verses are Read them with me, would you please? Stirring, sinning, settling, and signing over. Those are the four steps. Say them again. Stirring, sinning, settling, signing over. The first step is be ye angry. It means be ye angered. It is in the Greek a present passive imperative which means not that you are acting, notice passive, you are being acted upon. It is saying there are going to come things your way in life that will tend to make you angry. Be ye angered, do not sin by getting angry. So this this phrase, be angry, is God's flashing caution yellow light warning you and me. You be careful when these stirring things come because they will cause you to sin by getting angry. Anytime somebody gets angry at you, anytime any emotional thing happens, it could cause you to be stirred up. If you're not careful, you're going to fall into the sin of anger. I asked myself another question. <clears throat> At this point, I said, um, it, it, notice, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So I asked myself the question, 
What else in the Bible did God say, don't leave this overnight? Do you remember what it was? It's in the book of Deuteronomy where God said, if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day that thy land be not defiled. What is God saying? God is saying you bury this dead body of anger or your bedroom will become a breeding ground for bitterness. Read it with me, will you please? Bury the dead body of anger or your bedroom will become a breeding ground for bitterness. Notice, there is the stirring. There is the stirring whatever stirs you up. Then there is the sinning, which is the anger itself. Then there is the uh, be angry, sin not, let um, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That is the settling where it settles into your soul. Whatever that angry sin was that settles into your soul overnight. And the last thing was signing over. Neither give place to the devil. Now I'm not even getting into the discussion of demonic oppression or demonic possession. I'm not even going to touch that. I don't have time to fool with that. I'm just telling you, this was written to Christians and he said, neither give place to the devil because if you sin by getting angry, you let that settle in overnight on you, then you literally sign over a portion of your life to the devil. That's what happens. And those are the four steps into anger, bondage, or anger, defeat. People are taking those every day, not realizing what it does to them. The stirring, that is not sin. Then there is the sin of getting angry. Then you do not confess it immediately. Then it settles into your soul and you automatically sign over a portion of your life to the devil. And this is just one little portion out of the new message. Now, I'm coming back to the present message. God was righteously angry at Balaam for going with Balak's men. Balaam, <coughs> excuse me, was greedy and covetous. And on the way, the Lord sent an angel with a drawn sword and Balaam's donkey saw the angel and refused to move forward while Balaam is urging her forward. Then the donkey banged Balaam's leg up against the bank of the enclosed path. When Balaam tried to push the donkey to keep going, the donkey sat down on Balaam's leg. Balaam started hitting the donkey and screaming at her, and the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and she said unto Balaam, what have I now done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? Balaam is so angry, he does not realize he's probably the only man in human history to be talking to a talking Talking donkey. This was not Mr. Ed, the talking horse. This was Miss Ned, the talking donkey. Now listen to Balaam as he justifies himself and carries on a conversation with Miss Ned, the donkey. Non-repentant, angry people are always justifying themselves. And their justifications are often more childish than the children that they're trying to justify themselves to. In this case, you can easily say that Balaam was more of a stubborn donkey than his donkey. And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. <laughs> Typical angry person ready to kill somebody or some animal because of his own faults. And it's almost like there's a bit of a childish whine here. Miss Ned, you mocked me. You made fun of me and I'm your master. How about this one? I'm your dad. 
or I'm your mom and you made fun of me. Don't misunderstand me. I, I am not justifying disrespect on the part of children ever. But you know, it is very difficult to respect and follow a disobedient, angry authority figure. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day, where I ever want to do so unto thee? And Balaam said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Does anybody remember the very first words out of the mouth of the angel? Frightening, powerful. Balaam. Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Christians are going to be standing in the presence of their creator at the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord's going to be saying to him, why did you hit that child? Why did you scream at your wife? Why did you holler at that employer or that coworker? Why did you holler at that referee or that coach? Then the angel told Balaam. Do you remember what the angel told Balaam right here? Balaam. If it had not been for your donkey doing what she did, I would have killed you and let your donkey live. Listen to this article from Pekin, Illinois. A correctional officer was arrested for allegedly breaking his 12-year-old son's wrist after throwing the boy into kitchen cabinets, then to the floor. After throwing the boy to the floor... The man twisted the boy's arm behind his back, straddled him, raised his fist as though to punch the boy when mom finally intervened. An order of protection was filed against the man by the boy's mother who also filed for divorce. Now, can I tell you something? That man didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm gonna break my son's arm today. But if you don't take seriously your anger problem, let God give you victory over it, you don't know what you might do. A man gave me this testimony. He said, I came from a line of violent tempers. When I was in sixth grade, some guys would not let a friend of mine on the playground. I got mad and when I got done, seven guys were in the hospital and two of them were out of school for a year. And when I walked off the playground, I didn't even know what I I had done. Notice that fella was mad. When a fella gets mad, He goes mad. He has no idea what he's doing. And I'm talking about how angry people do mean things. Then he said this, I couldn't control my anger, but eventually God took it away. Did you know that if God can give victory over anger to a man like that, he can give you victory when you truly decide you want victory? What is the high cost of anger? The time of others to deal with the angry person's problem because, oh, and then secondly, the loss of your testimony by the foolish things an angry person does by the mean things they do. Then third, the high cost of anger is the loss of your treasure. Anger has cost many people their earthly financial treasure. Now, I will not ask you, but I'll simply ask the question, how many men do you know of who have lost their jobs because of some fit of anger or gotten in trouble on their jobs? Anybody into sports and recognize this guy? His name is Ron Artest. American pro basketball player who won the NBA Defensive Player of the Year Award in 2004. November 19th of that year, he was at the center of an altercation between players and fans. And the brawl began when Artest fouled Piston center Ben Wallace as Wallace was putting up a shot. And then it turned into a brawl. I've got it all here. And the fight resulted in the game being stopped with less than a minute remaining. And Artest had actually punched a Pistons fan and jumped into the stands, all this stuff. A week later, the NBA announced that Artest would be suspended for the remainder of the season 73 games and playoffs, the longest non-drug or betting-related suspension in NBA history, our test lost 
Are you ready for this? Seven million dollars in salary because of the suspension. His anger cost him seven million dollars. You know what else is interesting? Since that time, Ron Artest has changed his name. Officially, legally changed his name. His name, I wonder if the name change has helped him or not. How I many of y'all know what the name change is? Some of you guys do. His name is now World Peace. Mark Twain said, that's no joke, folks, that's real. Read it with me, will you please? Anger is an acid <coughs> than to anything on which it is poured. But the greatest treasure you lose because of anger will not be earthly treasures. You may also lose eternal treasures. You may lose some specific blessing of God you could have had, but you miss it because of your anger. Let me illustrate it for you. Naaman the leper almost didn't get healed because of his anger. The Bible introduces us to him as him being the captain of the army of Syria, but he was a leper. And the little maid from Israel was a servant in his house and told him about Elisha, the prophet of God in Israel. So Naaman went in his chariot to the house of Elisha in Israel. And Elisha, would not come out and greet him. Elisha just stayed in the house praying. And Elisha sent word to him to go wash seven times in the Jordan River and he would be cured. And Naaman was wroth and went away. He left because he expected Elisha to just come out, touch him and heal him. And Naaman said, are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants looked at him and said, look, Captain Naaman, if Elisha asked you to do something really hard, you would have done it. All he asked you to do was wash seven times in the Jordan River. Why don't you go try it? Okay, I get it. He did. His leprosy was healed. You know what? I wonder what phenomenal blessings people have missed out on because of their anger. Maybe this person would have had a chance to teach or preach or an opportunity to be a deacon or pastor or something else. Maybe you would have gotten a promotion or a raise. Maybe you would have had some great opportunity. You don't even know what you've missed. It's because of your anger. Perhaps the biggest loss of all in relation to treasure is not earthly treasure opportunity. Probably the biggest loss of all is the loss of relationships because of anger. Only God knows how many thousands, if not millions of marriages have been destroyed because of anger. It is the plague on our society. Only God knows how many children's lives have been lost from God to the world because of a Christian parent's anger. How serious is God's warning to parents, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Somebody wrote an advice columnist. My husband and I have three children. In the last two years, we've tutored our 13-year-old daughter in math. But when daddy tries to tutor her, it becomes a confrontation instead of learning experience. He yells and makes sarcastic put-down comments. Uh, remember what I said this morning about God can righteously get angry, righteously carry out vengeance, and righteously humiliate somebody, and you and I can't do any one of those three. But if you have a problem with anger, there will be some time when you will carry out vengeance on the child and possibly humiliate the child. And I want to tell you, that's all it takes. You can do everything else right. You will destroy your relationship with your child, probably drive your child out of church and away from God for, for the rest of their lives. Now, she in turn gets an attitude and resents that he ridicules her in front of her siblings. I find his methods immature and inefficient. He shouts, she cries, what's been accomplished? The mother says, I tutored her for a while, but her grades didn't improve, so my husband took over again. My daughter claims he doesn't love her as much as her siblings because she's not good in math. By the way, you need to love all your children equally regardless whether one is good in one thing, bad in another thing. Amen. 
I told this to my husband, but nothing changed. Almost every interaction they have is negative and there's nothing positive to counteract it. I no longer like the person my husband has become. He finds the reason to yell about something as soon as he gets home. He told the kids he would use physical discipline if it wasn't for me. So I've turned into the family protector. Remember my text verse, if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. I'm ready to get divorced because I'm unhappy. The kids are unhappy. He's obviously unhappy too. He refuses counseling because, quote, they can't help us. The problem is he won't be helped. My guess is if that man walked into your office, preacher, he would deny he had a problem with anger. He would probably say, the problem is my wife's and my children. Could I ask you men, if I ask your wife right now, does your, would your wife say, well, my husband might have a little problem with anger? If so, you probably have a massive problem. She's afraid to admit how bad it is. That fear creates that atmosphere. Listen to this story. A missionary told me about a 90-year-old lady in a Baptist church with five children, 25 grandchildren, 55 great-grandchildren, 64 great-great-grandchildren. Now, that's a lot of descendants, folks. This story has a twist at the ending that surprises you. She sends birthday cards and a gospel tract to everyone on plus to everybody in her church and all of their church missionaries at her own expense every year. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Brother Davis, he said, I know her and none of her children will have anything to do with God or her because of her sharp, angry tongue. That's all it takes, folks. A lady wrote us this. She said, I've been having a spirit of anger. I had a major blow up last December causing my daughter to leave home. Then she gave me another chance and I had another blow up and she left home for good. I'm bursting in tears. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything the book says to do. Help me. You know what? I suspect she hasn't really tried everything this book says to do. I don't know what book she's referring to, but if you do what this book says to do, you can deal with this. Now I want to give you, excuse me, an acrostic of the word angry to help you remember what to do to get victory over it, I suggest you write this down and hold on to it. And the final slide in this whole message tonight is available as a free download on our website. A is this, admit the problem. What else can I say? I talked about it this morning. This is, this is it. This is, where, this is where we're at in our Baptist churches in America. We, we have justified anger for so many years that we don't realize this is the thing destroying our homes, destroying our relationships, destroying the next generation, destroying our families, destroying our churches, destroying our testimony before the world. This is the thing. And yet, I can almost guarantee you that there's one or more people here tonight that have a major problem or a minor problem, but they won't admit it to anybody. And they won't seek help because they won't admit it. Ask three godly people if you have a problem, believe what they tell you. The, let, the letter N, never quit till you truly have victory. I've seen people who admit they have the problem and they tried to deal with it. But it was so much a part of their life. It's like an addiction of some sort. It's like a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction. It has become so much a part of the fabric of their soul that they go for a few days and it's like they just can't deal with this. Could I ask you this? Would you have given up on trying to get victory if you had if you were fined and had to pay $10,000 every time you got angry, it's costing you more than that. Your good name, it is costing you the testimony of a good name and that's worth more than $10,000 ever thought about being. The letter G, give your mate and children corrective privilege. Tell your children, you want the, them to come and ask you, are you angry, mom? I know of a wonderful family 
And I heard the, the uh, father and the mother testifying about how they have said to the children, children, if you ever think that we're angry at any time, you have our permission at any time to come up to us and whisper in our ear and say, Mom, I think you're angry. Or Dad, I think you're angry. Could, could I tell you, if every family did nothing but what I'm saying right now, preacher, your church would be transformed. I dare you. I dare you. I spiritually dare you to go home tonight, sit down with your children and say, children, whether I've had a problem with anger or not, I don't want to have a problem with anger. Daddy doesn't want to be an angry daddy. Mama doesn't want to be an angry mama. And I want to say to you, you have my permission at any time to come to me and say, Dad, I think you're angry. Mom, I think you're angry. But fellas, listen to me. Moms, listen to me. You only get one chance. If your child comes to you at some time and whispers to you and says, Dad, I think you're angry. And you look back and you say, I'm not angry. What are you talking about? They won't do it again. You have to be ready because they will try it. And you have to be prepared ahead of time to say to your child, whoa, honey, hold it. Let me process this. Thank you for telling me that. I'm gonna go away and think about this for a little while. Thank you for telling me that. You will not damage your relationship with your child. Your ch Listen to me. Your children know you're not perfect. They don't expect you to be perfect. Your children expect you to be real. Could I ask you, are you real? Is what I see right here, right now, with folks sitting there smiling, is that the real you or is it fake? Are you real or are you fake? Let me tell you who knows. Your wife and your children. Your husband and your children, they know if you're real. They know if you're fake. And can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what your preacher knows. Now he may know, he may not know. But when you stand before God, can I tell you something? God's not going to say, you hid that from your pastor. God's going to say, you destroyed your children. I sent somebody to warn you. You had every opportunity to correct it. Preacher, we've got to do something. This is my only chance to preach on parenting just a little bit while I'm here. We've got to do something to change losing the next generation. We've got to change it. We're losing the next generation. The Muslims are winning the next generation. And you know what's very interesting, preacher? Just uh, a month ago, we were in another state and we had lunch or dinner it was. We had dinner with the son of a French missionary. A man who, this son had been raised in the country of France. Been there for years and years and years, spoke fluent French. And of course, France is being taken over by the Muslims. There are areas already now in France where a French policeman doesn't dare walk back there. The Muslims control the whole thing. They, 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 uh, they have their own police. They have Sharia law. They have their own judges. They do it all. The French, he, this, this young man told me, he said, Brother Davis, he said, they, um, <coughs> he said, he said, a regular policeman would not dare walk in certain areas in France. He said, his very life would be in danger. He said, there are areas you and I wouldn't dare go back into. He said, you wouldn't walk out alive. But then he told me something else very interesting. I've never told this. I don't think I've told this anywhere, but I think it was so interesting. I said, now their children are becoming Muslims, aren't they? He said, well, now watch this because this, this is very interesting to me. 
And I'm not sure how to process all this. I, I, I think I've gotten a lot of it, but I, I'll just throw it out for you. He said, Brother Davis, that next generation, they're all becoming Muslims. But he said, they're not really even religious Muslims. He said, most of their kids, he said, they like the intensity and the fight and all the fire that comes out of that. But he said, they have no religion at all. He said that next generation. Now, let me tell you something, folks. If you and I as Christians can produce a next generation filled with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, there's going to be a whole lot of hungry Muslims, I chander, wondering where did you get that from because you're different than we are. I heard a testimony just a while back where a... Muslim had gone to a church and the reason he went to that church because he ran into a Christian and he said, I've never seen love before. So I didn't know what it was. I went to a church because I wanted to see what they had. Now, the letter R, repent without reserve. Now I'm gonna illustrate that in a moment, but let me say right here, if there's somebody here tonight who's lost, you need to get saved. That's the most important thing is to repent of whatever is keeping you from trusting Jesus as your savior. Turn your life over to him. He gives brand new life to those who will trust him as savior. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Here they are on the screen. Read them with me, please. Admit the problem. Never quit. Give your mate and children corrective privilege. Repent without reserve. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit consciously three times a day. You remember what David said? Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice three times a day consciously saying, I want to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. Post the fruit of the Spirit. Several places in your home where you're reminded that you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And every time you see that up in your home, ask yourself, Am I manifesting the fruit of the Spirit? I ask you, is this something you really truly want victory over? Or are you just going to play games about this and lose your family while it's at it? A pastor was a godly man and a great preacher. But he had a problem with anger and explosive temper. And one day he lost his temper in front of several people. And his heart was so grieved that he decided it was time for him to do something about his problem. And the step he took to gain victory would have been viewed as radical by some. It was on a Monday and the pastor said to his wife, I'm going to my study. I have water to drink. If I need anything else, I'll call you. If you need anything, you call me. I don't plan to come out till God gives me victory over my anger. Monday passed, Tuesday morning. Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday noon, Friday afternoon, the pastor came out of his study. Four full days, he retreated, fasted, prayed, sought God, and his wife's testimony was this, I never, ever saw my husband lose his temper again. He really got serious about getting victory over his anger problem, ceased to be an angry man, and became a truly faithful, righteous man. I think y'all know that guy, don't you? Larry Brown is probably my best preacher friend. And uh, when was it he lost Diane? Three years ago, was it? Anyway, I was at the funeral. And then two hours after the funeral, I was sitting at the table with um, uh, Brother Larry, several of his children, and uh, he was telling me how they had had a wonderful 37-year marriage. And then he would start telling me, he said, Brother Davis, he said, you'll find this interesting. He said, my dad had a terrible problem with his temper and it passed down to me. I was shocked. I've known Brother Larry for good night, 25 years we've been friends. I've never known Brother Brown to have a problem with anger. He said this to me, he said, Diane and I had been married a year and a half and we're in the car coming home from Des Moines, Iowa. I wondered out loud if I had missed the Interstate 80 exit ramp and Diane said, yep, you missed it about 10 minutes ago in fact. He said, I looked over at her and said, 
you mean you knew you missed it and you didn't say anything? And she said, you're the boss. He said, Brother Davis, I felt the anger start rising in my ankles. Come up my leg, just keep coming up, but I didn't say anything. I just turned around and went back and got on the right road and about five miles down the road, I pulled over and I stopped, I stopped and I pointed my finger in my wife's face and I said, woman, don't you ever do that again and a whole bunch of other things I wish I'd never said. And when I pulled out and started driving away, she was really crying. And as I pulled out, God smote my heart. And God said, Larry Brown, you will never amount to anything for me until you get that temper under control. He went back and apologized to his wife and he said, Brother Davis, by God's grace, 37 years of marriage, my wife never ever saw the angry temper again and my children never ever heard me raise my voice in anger. And then he said this, oh, Brother Davis, it's still inside me. I still have to pray about it, but it never comes out. You see, we all have that old fallen carnal nature. It could come back at any time, any of us. But there really is such a thing as getting victory over anger and angry spirit. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. I'll deliver him, yet thou must do it again. I've had to say to some people before, you know what? You're gonna have to stop delivering him. The next time he or she gets in trouble, you're just gonna have to let it happen. There's that man that I began the message with, raised with a father with a violent temper. He got saved, but he didn't deal with his anger. Then his wife left him and they got divorced and he said, it wasn't until I'd been saved about six years I was divorced and asking God, what's wrong? Why isn't this working out for me? My pastor gave me a recording on anger and I don't remember much of the message, but that day God changed my life. That man said if I got mad once a month and blow up and yell and scream that my family would walk around our home for 29 days afraid of setting me off. You see folks, living next to an angry person is like living next to a volcano that who knows when it's going to erupt. Stay with me. Watch me, that volcano under the surface has lava flow. And that lava flow is continually stirring and moving and stirring and moving. And the people around that person sense the moving and stirring of that lava flow all the time until... Eventually, occasionally, it blows up. And an angry person thinks that if he doesn't blow up, he's doing all right. He thinks if I blow up about once every month or two, I'm doing fine, but you're not doing fine. You're not doing all right. The lava flow is there and everybody is living in fear of the explosion. The Holy Spirit reminded me, he says, of the way it was in my home as a young boy, the fear my father cast on my whole home. God broke my heart that day and I realized I'd been doing the same thing to my family. That day I set my children and I asked them to forgive me and we cried and prayed together. Then I called my ex-wife at her house and explained to her what God had shown me and I asked her to forgive me, told her I was sorry. She said she knew about the problem a long time ago. Two years later, my wife called me up and said, I want to come back home. And I said, come on. And I never forgot when she walked in the door, she looked at me and said, I'm not the same woman that left. And I said, I'm not the same man that you left. She came home July 2002. We had our divorce annulled. And December, we celebrated our 20-year anniversary. It's hard to believe that a person can be so blind and not see something so clearly even though it's right in front of our faces. He's walking around for years with angry man, mad man, furious man, wrathful man. It's right on his forehead. He never knew it was there when he finally saw it, admitted it, asked God for his help. God gave him victory over it and God will give you victory over your anger when you admit the problem. Never quit till you have the victory. Give your mate and children corrective privilege. Repent without reserve and yield to the power of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Would you bow with me, please? How many here tonight?
can go back to a time in your life when you realized that you were a lost sinner on your way to hell and you repented of your sin, asked Jesus to come into your heart and be your savior and you're no better than anybody else but because Jesus is living in your heart, you're sure if you died, you'd go to heaven, lift your hand all over the house, would you please? What a wonderful, what a wonderful sight. God bless you. Is there anybody here tonight you can't lift your hand and say, I know for sure I'm saved on this invitation. Would you come forward? I'd be glad to talk to you. The preacher will talk to you. If it's a lady, some lady will talk to you. Take the word of God, show you how you can be saved. With our heads still bowed, our eyes still closed. How many did say, Brother Davis, something in that message tonight I needed, pray for me. Slip your hand up all over the house. Something I needed, pray for me. God bless you. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the privilege of being in this wonderful church. What a joy. How our heart has been fed by being with your people, hearing the songs of Zion, seeing the love that is in this place, seeing the care of this pastor for his flock. And Lord, would you help somebody tonight to admit they've got the problem? Would you help somebody tonight to say, yes, I want victory. And yes, I'll do whatever I have to do to get victory. And Lord, it probably should begin with them in the altar here tonight, crying out to you for your help, for your victory. Lord, would you grant it, I pray, in Jesus' name. We're standing with heads bowed, eyes closed. She's playing the hymn of invitation. God spoke to your heart. You don't need to wait on somebody else. As you stand, step out and make your way down the aisle. Will you come? Maybe you came this morning, need to come again tonight. How about it? Will you come? What is God speaking to your heart about? Will you let him do in your heart, in your life, what he wants to do?